It's Thursday, August 16th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 494 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 54 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name is Chad. All right, so I've already decided on the title for this episode. Oh. We're going to call it Genesis. Because like the band? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a Star Trek reference. Oh, okay. because it's about bringing life from lifelessness. Okay, I'm going to link this movie clip in the show notes. So if anyone has no idea what I'm referencing, because you didn't watch the Star Trek movies or don't remember the quotes, it's Star Trek two slash three. Two threat, yeah, because the same speech is given by different characters in both movies. The Genesis torpedo that rebuilds the mm-hmm. planet. Yeah. No, no, no. I got it. Okay, uh, I I got Actually, it. Genesis is about bringing life. <laughs> From lifelessness. This is my judgy face. Oh, they look yeah. like your confused face. No, no. They look diff- kind of similar. They do. It's the same face, but <laughs> this is my judgy face. Ah. All right. So in spoilers here, if you're following the Skies of Glass campaign, stop here and make mm-hmm. sure you are caught up uh, because this will spoil something that occurs in the most recent game. It's not important. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, to my character, is this. <laughs> So what we're going to talk about is something that came up, not with the death of Wayne's character, but the death of Wayne, (laughs) but the introduction of the character that he is now playing and played for the last hour ish, give or take a little bit of the prior game. And there was a bunch of things in there, some of which were thought out on the spot. I wouldn't say any of them were planned because the character's death and replacement weren't planned. Right. Chad actually said earlier in the night, and this was uh, when we were kind of vamping and waiting for you to get out of the bathroom. He asked everyone, so do you have a backup character in mind? And my answer at the time was no. Right. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't planned it. I don't think anybody has a backup character. Oh, you did. I do. I'm not telling you what it is. (laughs) You frequently have backup characters, but I've never seen you actually play the backup character. I don't need to. I'm too good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gil needs to die. <laughs> Gil, I can't see Gil surviving. But portions of this you know, weren't planned, mm-hmm. but there were things that were thoughtfully executed in the moment. There were things that were done intentionally. And then there were some things that just sort of happened and fell into place. And I think what the whole thing serves as a great object lesson on or great exercise in is what do you do to replace a character rather rapidly on the fly? Because there was something that happened when Wayne's character died. So I asked him, I said, Wayne, do you want GM Mercy? And if he had said yes, I would have tried to find some way to take a toll from his character, but not to kill it. But when Wayne said, nope, this is Skies of Glass, I played this for its its brutality. In fact, Wayne, I saw that coming the moment you decided to fight the guy as opposed to try and work through it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a bloodbath. And I didn't plan for the character to die in that fight, but I knew it was a possibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Skies of Glass, I need to know that's a possibility. Right. For that game in particular, to really have that feel of desperation, I need to know that at any point, any of the characters, mine included, can go down and they don't come back. There's no... Magic Revive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I actually had to reduce the number of enemies from what I originally pictured was there in order to avoid a TPK, a total party kill, because I didn't want that at that point in the plot. 
And so it's like, no, okay. but he, he he's totally fine with it later on. <laughs> Excellent. But it's like, like no, good to know. Well, it has to be at least a sufficiently, <laughs> I don't know, dramatic moment. I mean, you don't kill your. What is a movie I saw once? I can't think what it was where they kill off most of the cast by like halfway through the movie, and you're like, why am I watching this? Right. The uh, one of the ones that I can remember that did that, and this isn't the one I'm thinking of but it was the first Mission Impossible movie. Because mm. that was, to me, yeah. always about the team and the intellect and the planning and things like that. And it's like, okay, this whole team's dead. I don't know that I care anymore. Right, now it's about Super Tom. Yeah, now it's about Super Tom Cruise. And, you know, actually, some of the subsequent movies have been fairly good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that one movie kind of died for me when the, the rest of the team did. Point here being that your character ends up dead. And something I didn't want to do, other than a TPK was I did not want to have Wayne as a player sitting there on the sidelines, thumb in butt, for the next one to two hours of the game because his character's gone. Because that's boring. Uh, on top of that, it also gets to be really depressing because you start thinking about, you know, man, did my did I want to keep that character? Was that death a good death? What, mm. Did I make a mistake here? How do I feel about the circumstances under which the death occurred? You got to get the person back in the game. You don't want to leave them sitting on the sidelines. And so we managed to get another character introduced pretty quickly. Now, for anyone who's not following the actual play, I'll give you a very brief setup of the situation. All right. Won't bore you with a gaming story because that's recorded. But <laughs> a, a, you can bore yourself by yeah, listening. You can it. bore yourself with four hours of this. So let me just set up for you briefly what the situation is. They have a vehicle that works off of hydrogen that has to be refined by solar panels, whatever. And it's recharging, and at the time, they're scouting around this town. And they end up, at one point, trying to loot a police station, and there is a gang of bad guys, we'll just keep it that simple, that were lurking near the police station and had set a very intentional trap there. And they first capture Brandon's character, then they sort of capture, sort of take hostage Wayne's character. A fight breaks out, and what ends up happening is Wayne's character dishes out a lot of punishment, but then himself ends up getting killed by a spear that was driven through your ribcage and into your heart. And so Wayne's character dies. Sky's Glass is a very brutal setting, very lethal setting. This is just how it goes. At that moment, I start thinking about it was actually a round or two before that I started right. thinking about the, what would I want for a new for a new character if this one doesn't make it. And one of the things I thought about is that I've never played a character in Skies of Glass with a skill with guns. Mm. So I've played non combatants. Yeah, at this point I played my the fir- very first Skies of Glass game, he was a veterinarian. He was a doctor. Mm. The first half of this, he was a merchant. He had his negative was guns. He couldn't right. use them. Boone was more of a fighter, but he was a fist fighter. Yeah. Right. So this is like, from a space station. They right. didn't exactly have a whole lot of gunfights going on. So I've never played a character that actually uses guns in Skies of Glass. It's like, I'd kind of like to try that because yeah. I haven't tried those rules. And, you know, and somebody that fights from a distance. And then I was thinking, okay, I want the character to still have the ties with everyone else. So my next thought is, I want him to have been from the space station. Mm. I don't want this character to just be somebody that stumbles across them that they don't know. I want him to still have a shared history. So that was the next thing I thought. Then after that, it's like, this is going really bad. They kind of need a rescue. Mm. 
if my character could suddenly show up and start fighting with them without having all of the damage that they've already taken, then they will accept it more easily and we right. can get past all of those introductions of that. Yeah. So I write a note on a note card and hand it over to Dan that is the basic concept I have of the character. And I keep fleshing it out as the rounds go and then as he actually dies. Right. Yeah, and, and so that's what occurs is Wayne passes me his note card that said for because I'm thinking, what do I do to get him back in the action? I'm thinking, okay, which NPC can I most easily give him, whether good guy, bad guy, bystander? And what is it I can do to get Wayne back in the game? And very quickly, I was actually surprised by how fast you did this. Wayne hands me a note card that, like you said, it would describe he wanted to play a guy who was also in the prison on the space station, which works out well because we established there was a population there of a couple dozen people. You guys knew each other, but apart from Lovin, who was a <laughs> misunderstanding of dialogue, none of them were defined or named. Right. And so clearly these people exist, even mm-hmm. if we haven't detailed this. The tie-in's already there, and Wayne hands me a card that says, I want to play somebody who's from that prison, who's a sharpshooter, who has been following them for some time now. All right, now what Wayne did here... How did you guys learn about guns Well, space? I'll tell you right now, yeah. that's one of the things Wayne's going to have to define for yep. me, because sharpshooting has to be a skill he picked up on Earth. Mm-hmm. Because on the space station, maybe he could have been a brawler, Maybe he even could have been a pistolier. Yep. On the space station, it was knife skills. The space station did not have right. half-mile-long corridors. Right. And so there's no need for a sharpshooter yep. on the space station. No, and I, I've thought that out, too, and that's something I've... It's all those games at Duck Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was... I did put in his background. He was a basically a space pirate as a mm. short-answer version of what he did to go to jail. Yeah. So he was doing questionable things already he yeah. wasn't a necessarily a good guy but his preferred weapon before landing was knife mm-hmm. so let's work through what went right here once again admitting some of this was thought out some of this was accident of the moment point zero here is i as a game master wanted to introduce a character for wayne and do it relatively quickly in the middle of the moment all right so step one wayne does is Wayne hands me a character concept that is already tied to the party. Now, Wayne could have done this in many ways. He could have handed me a card that says what he said. I want to play somebody that was on the prison. He could have said somebody was on the space station, but not in the prison, but was a had been a patient of Dr. Pose or something like that. Could have been a survivor from Amboy. Mm-hmm. Or not Amboy, or not Amboy uh, uh, Dixon. Dixon. Precisely. Could have been a survivor from Dixon who got out. You could have passed me a card that said you wanted to take over, I think Elena's her name, the scout that mm-hmm. is from, she probably wasn't even there when the bomb went off. You could have handed me a card that says, you know, you're somebody else that they know on the ground. Uh, you could have said, I want to take over one of the existing NPCs that's already in the party. I want to start playing Molly or I want to start playing Fat Tony or something <laughs> like that. I could never do that. <laughs> they have a voice for me, so yeah. I could not step into the voice of another character. Mm-hmm. But the point being, all right, and let's emphasize this, you chose a character that the party already has some ties to. You did not make a character who sprang up from the earth with the expectation that we can have organic role play, 
even though nobody in the party has any idea who the hell you are. Yeah, no, I've run games and I've brought characters in and I know what I could give a GM to make that easier because yeah. it kind of sucks introducing new characters in the middle of things. The character I briefly played in your Dresden game that was, since I didn't know anything about Dresden, was based more on Journey to the West, stuck out horribly and did not fit in at all. Yeah, I've learned my lesson over the years. I know how to give something to a GM to help bring that character in because I've seen how hard it is to be on the other side of that yeah. and bring that character, bring a character in. Yeah, well, and it's not easy for the players either because we have to have a sort of knowledge exchange of who are you, why are you here, yeah. what are you do, and it's always the same questions because it's the same situation with different characters, but it's always the same yeah. question. And so when the role play starts where the players start asking those questions, it's so flat. We've all done yeah. it a zillion times. It's... Well, And that was why I liked the idea of him showing up in mid-combat, mm. because then you can just shortcut past some of that. That's right. thing number two I was going to draw out, is you chose a character and a form of introduction that made sense within the moment. It was organic to the moment, and it also helped establish even further not just knowledge of the character but trust of the character you said he was a sharpshooter you said he'd been following the party and you know what's going on right now is one of the party members is dead one or two were possibly dead you had a firefight going on the idea that there's somebody out there with a sniper rifle who's going to help them out this immediately establishes that I'm on your side, that I'm at least somewhat worthy of trust. And it gave you an obvious end to the situation. If you're like, you know what? I want to play a hobbled innkeep. <laughs> okay, maybe there's a cool <laughs> character there. I have no idea how he fits into this situation. Next in you guys arrive at, which I don't have any idea when that will be, right. uh, he'll be there. But you gave me a character who was useful to the party in the moment, and that allowed me to put you in the scene, and it also allowed me to create a situation that would build the party's trust. Yep. The downside is after the combat was over, when I look at how the character suddenly started interacting with the other characters, there were the questions that I hadn't thought out. It was the framework of a character. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't fully thought out. It wasn't on sheet yet. I didn't have stats yet. I didn't have the full background because I wanted to talk to Dan about, you know, he came down in one of the other pods. So I wanted to know anything about that pod mm -hmm. that I would bring over. And there was a lot of unanswered things because it was, like I said, it wasn't a full character yet. It was a framework of a character that was being introduced. Third point. Some things can be hand-waved for the sake of getting the character in there. Now, I don't think you have to hand-wave everything. For example, I could have just said, well, there's a hobbled innkeep who just so happens to still be hiding in the town. Mm -hmm. But I think that would have flown in the face of the moment because we had very carefully established up to that point that, that town had been repeatedly victimized by various nefarious forces. And the only survivor in that town is one little kid. Mm -hmm. That's the only survivor in the town. So to suddenly have somebody else be there that this kid somehow didn't know about, and right. blah, blah, I, it would have kind of torn down the moment. It would have messed up the setting. But there were things we didn't have to answer. So, for example, when Wayne went back to uh, the main group hideout and 
I had one of the NPCs ask him, so what happened to the other people that were in the pod with you? I instantly paused, switched from in character to out of character, like just like that, and said, Wayne, you don't have to answer that if you don't have an answer in mind. If you had an improv, I would have gone with it, unless it was completely game derailing. But if you'd had an improv answer, I would have gone with it, and I would have made that part of the story. But I also accepted this character was introduced and invented on the spot. You can't have everything prepped. Right. And so I instantly accepted that, okay, we'll just pretend you answered his question, but we'll actually come back to this in the next game when you've had a couple of weeks to think about it. Because what I wouldn't be able to accept was that nobody would ask that question. Mm. Yeah. Because that is the question that you ask at this point in this particular game. You know he came down with other people. Right. Where are they? That was the first question we asked Tony when we Mm -hmm. found him. And these were people that had worked for or with Fat Tony. He was going to know these people. And because that was established in the prequel game that Tony knew these guys. And so you had to know something. You had to be with these people. But this is, you know, I think to put it another way, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. The fact that Wayne was 90 some odd percent integrated and figured out is to me a whole lot better than saying, you know what, we're going to bench you until you have this a hundred percent figured out. And it was better than the awkward, yeah. you know, introductions where it's, hi, you, I'm new guy. Exactly. Well, hi, new guy. Where, you know where it's going to end up at. Cause yeah. we're all playing a game, but sometimes it's hard to just bend the characters to do yeah. it. Well, and that's something that the players have to do. And something that we did too, where you have to just go with it. You have to hang your hat on it or what, hang a lampshade on it and just admit, okay, you can't stop in the middle of this thing and go, wait a minute, guys, who the fuck is this? Why are we trusting them all of a sudden when we trust no one? If you analyze it too much, you're just going to make the whole thing more difficult. And that's not to say that players shouldn't make things a little challenging because in that challenge comes role-playing moments. But I don't really recommend that because there's already an out-of-character challenge of getting the character to integrate into the group and to have it make sense, and so we can keep going with the story. Challenge him later on when, oh, I don't know, he has a character and a background and motivations. <laughs> when I have answers for the questions. Right. Yeah, the only thing that Wayne gave me beyond the short description we've already mentioned is the name for the character. Now, the significance of the name here is this leads me to point four, which is somewhat related to what we were just talking about, but I think is distinct enough. It deserves its own space, which is nurture this, help this roll along. And this is something the game master or the players can do. In this case, when Wayne's character comes back to the hideout, fat Tony, who's a money-making gangster, but not a leg breaker. That's Mm. not his thing. He hires people to do that. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. He's an honest <laughs> businessman. You can't prove anything. Right. <laughs> but when Wayne came back to that hideout, because it was the nature of the character that Fat Tony would know him, I jumped to that. I had Fat Tony act as if he knew you. He started talking to you mm-hmm. in very friendly terms. Mm-hmm. He started interacting with you. He asked you questions. On the spot, I made up a nickname for your character. It's a silly nickname, but you know what? It does something to demonstrate 
that you are not an unknown element. You just didn't spring from the earth. Yeah, because really, that's what happened. He literally sprang from the earth (laughs) in our moment of need. But you can't roleplay that. We can write the story, and we can conduct the characters in such a way that it doesn't feel that way. Right. That it still works in the narrative. You see this all the time in movies, TV shows, books, where something is set up or described that relates to the past or something else that is going to be used later on. Chekhov's gun is Mm. the name of this trope. And you don't necessarily have to know where this came from as long as it's been established somewhere along the way. It's true. And so what I was doing in that moment is I was truing out the fact that Tony has a social relationship with Wayne's new character that can then be built upon in future games. Mm-hmm. So I have just created that moment where you have seen the gun in the nightstand and know that in the third act of the story it will be used to shoot an intruder. Yeah, and it confirmed the violent history of the character. Yes, because that's how Tony knew you, was he had hired you to do absolutely nothing, because he's an honest <laughs> businessman. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Whatever you remember is clearly just your poor recollection. Mm-hmm. Point five that I'm gonna mm-hmm. throw in here, and it's kind of a it's kind of a half point because it occurred, but I don't think it's as important as the prior four points were. Is I did adjust the plot a bit to make the character meaningful in the moment. So there's something I was trying to set up because Brandon's character, Doctor Poe, was captive already at the back of the building. And he wasn't being harmed, but he was being held by some of the bad guys. And I wanted to use his captivity to set up that something else was going on in the town. All right. So these guys were supposed to rather inexplicably and rapidly disappear. But when Wayne comes in, he's a sharpshooter. We've established that all the other bad guys are either inside the building or dead, except these two. And so it's like, okay, I have to find a way for Wayne's new character to meaningfully contribute to this situation. And so I cut the difference. I've established there's two bad guys on Dr. Poe. So one of them gets disappeared Batman style. Mm. And the other one, because we'd also established at this point that an artificial intelligence had taken control of part of the town's dilapidated traffic structure, turns on a streetlight to illuminate this bad guy. And it's like, right there, Wayne, go ahead, roll your attack. It's an easy as hell shot. Now, you are Wayne, so I probably should not have had you roll it. But I did have you roll it, and fortunately, you rolled more or less average and (laughs) successfully killed a man with the easiest shot ever made. But I legitimately, at one point for damage in that session, rolled 4d6 and got three ones out of it. Yeah. It was a locked police station. All right, let's use the D&D equivalent. So it's a locked, I don't know, guard station mm-hmm. or something, and they don't have the ability to smash down the door. Well, it Because there's no bin bars, lift gates in 5th edition. Precisely. And so, How do you get past your well, bars and uh, gates? And this is a door. It's neither bars nor gates. I know. It's completely <laughs> off script. It's not even a portcullis. No. Goodness, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> what do we do? And so I could have said, you know what? Wayne wants to play a thief. So I'm going to go ahead and have this door be locked or have a trap on it or something. And his character, who the party already knows because he'd been on a prior adventure with them 
or used to be a scout for the king that they work for or something like that. And he comes along and is able to get in a good backstab on one of the bad guys. And now he can pick that lock and get that door open. And this idea transports really well from setting to setting and situation to situation. But if you can find a way to real organically make an opening for that person, look at what it is they do and eh, give them a little bit of fudge to be like, okay, this is how we can have you fit into this moment. You know, there's a guy that's dying, which certainly was the case there. If a cleric would have been on hand from D and D, it probably would have made quite a difference. So we don't want to beat a dead horse on that one too much. Excuse me. I mean, God knows we can. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and we did beat something to death. So for the next part of this show, Chad, you have a murder mystery that you did in D&D. Right. I want you to talk about that. If anyone thinks that the two topics are related in any way or you can draw advice from one and put the No, this is like hard stop. Somebody died in both. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But we know who killed Wayne's character in that one. It was Wayne making poor life decisions. But (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong. Go on. But the two topics are not related. So this is hard stop, new topic here. I run a D&D game on Sundays, and this is 5th edition, and I'm sure somebody out there is like, Oh my god, that's not the edition I play! But uh, actually, I have had people tell me that, like that, already. So, anyway. Good for them. I like 5th edition. Yeah, I love it. I'm having a great time with it. We're playing 5th edition D&D, and and one of our players is, I've mentioned this before, she's very new. Mm -hmm. She's only played like, one-shot sort of things and like maybe Vampire the Masquerade and maybe something else. And she's never played like a campaign where she got to make the character and all this sort of stuff. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to run like a more traditional fantasy sort of game. I'm not trying to do anything really crazy with it, like mechanically or anything. And it is pretty bog standard D&D. In 5th edition, the character's at third level, most of the characters at third level, not all of them, it's a turning point for their character. Yeah, uh, the, for some of it's second, but yeah, second yeah, or third. Actually, I really hate that about fifth edition. It should all be third level because then it's a great transition point for the game master because I had this great idea that you could do something for the characters that took them out of trainee or maybe I don't know what I want to be to I am taking a stand for what I am being. The paladin is the perfect example of this because at first and second uh, level, they get, you know, some spells and a couple of abilities stuff at third level. They have to pick their order. They have to pick, you know, what kind of, it even says in there, you're no longer an adept or, or an acolyte or whatever. You're now an actual for real legit paladin. And there's a couple other character classes that are like that. Yep. Ranger gets, picks their fighting style. Right. Are, are they like a giant slayer or do they have like a beast animal that they go with? And so that that's what we were going through in the game because now my characters were transitioning from second to third level. I run the game in chapters and they're in the middle of chapter two. And I do milestone XP, which I now feel that there are people listening who are like, oh my God, that's the worst way to do XP. Like, okay, whatever. But I do milestone <laughs> XP and I don't care what you think. And uh, we were coming to the end of, of chapter two. So that means everybody's going to level to third level, and then we'll begin chapter three. I do want to say, yeah. comparing that to how you've previously done it when running Pathfinder, if I remember the phrase you used during the Gnarl game is, when you feel like you should level, let me know. Mm-hmm. I like the milestone one better. It's, sure. 
it makes logical sense that now you get whatever you're getting. Well, right? and for, it flows better. It does at least cut a middle ground in that instead of whim, there is at least something you have to achieve, mm-hmm. except instead of killing enough chickens, it's a point in the story. Yeah. But there is still some achievement you are working toward to earn that level. So I, I mean, I don't know. Some people mm-hmm. that's their bag in, in role playing. Right. And so that does still keep that out there. Yeah. And, and I can go off on a tangent on, on the difference between the two and why I did the two. And it, it has to do with the groups and, and the people behind it and such. A lot of it was some of my players in the Narl game. They were always complaining that they weren't the next level. But if you start handing out levels like they're candy, they complain that the levels are too easy to get and they don't feel they earn them. So it was a frustration. Throw my hands in the air. It's like, OK, fine. Whenever you want to level, you can level. Don't <laughs> don't bother me with your character. So, but in this one, yeah, I'm going for the the milestone team with the, with the chapters. So, the epitome of the kind of coming to your own in the class is represented to me best in the paladin because the paladin, cho- I mean, they chose their god and they're kind of starting to connect with their god, but then they actually choose a knightly order that defines their character, and it's like this big deal. There's kind of disappointing ones like the sorceress who. Because the sorceress doesn't learn anything or is a part of anything, and this the magic just kind of happens, their third level, they even get stuff. It's meta magic. They can actually start manipulating their magic, but what can you do with that? It just kind of happens. So there's not much you can do to as a game master to point that out. Which from a type of character standpoint kind of makes, makes sense, sense for the sorcerer. Yeah. It, it makes it makes for the wizard sense. you pick your school. But you do that at two. At two. And it just drives me nuts because what an opportunity <laughs> that a game master at, at level three, you could be with everyone else, you can say, I'm gonna pick X school. And all of a sudden I, I know this is coming. I've talked with the character, the player about it, and I can have a character of an old wizard who takes him under his wing and shows him no it's all out of order for me and it just <laughs> i don't know i think that actually kind of helps because it allows you to stagger the storytelling yeah that you don't have to be like okay hell i have to have the yoda moment for <laughs> five characters all right. at once and in the way this game has gone it did stagger my character who is a wizard found that person to help him pick his path yeah earlier in the last storyline mm-hmm. and we have a sorceress who can just have it sort of happen. I don't have to worry about that. So I have two characters, though, where I do need to concern myself with. One is our paladin, who, I mean, that's major, major, major for them. And then the ranger, where it's just like choosing one of two life paths. You know, are you the big giant dragon, giant slayer, whatever? Or do you go down this beast master path? I had talked to the ranger, found a beast master anyway. So the whole thing is they're going through dungeons. There's a big mystery. There's a big overarching meta plot that's going on that involves their characters and stuff. And they're going back to town and that's the end of the chapter. And it's just like, I can successfully wrap the chapter up, but I cannot successfully explain that trend, that big transition from second to third level for a couple of the characters. Like, I don't want it to just happen. Well, for the sorceress. Yeah. Cause that's their jam, but I don't want to just happen. Like they wake up one morning and go, I'm third level and I'm part of this paladin order and it just happened as i was asleep in the end great yeah it's such a downer so our paladin is a paladin of torm torm is like a god of justice yeah for god yeah right yeah a long time 
Right. And it's a God of justice. So I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? I, I do kind of need to wrap up a couple of points in the game. I do need to set up one or two things for the next game. I need to put them here. I can make this game about the trial that I'm going to put my paladin through so that she can gain access to this order. The, the church, so to speak, of whatever it's called of Torm is going to come and test her. She has spent levels one and two making somewhat of a name for herself that she's actually caught the attention of the church to say, okay, we're going to try and recruit you, but we just don't let you in. And so I had this old, fat, drunk, past his prime, fighting days are over, cleric of Torm show up in the town looking for her. And what I did is I had someone murdered. Nobody knew who did it. And the cleric of Torm, the local constabulary, was just going to grab somebody they didn't like because they don't know who killed this person. They're just going to grab somebody they didn't like and, and hang them. And then that, there you go. Mystery solved and we got rid of some riffraff. But the paladin of Tor, or the, the cleric of Torm shows up and is like, I am going to take over this case. And I, I kind of played it in my mind. I, I expressed that to the characters of they can do this. It's, it's kind of like Judge Dredd, right? You yeah. know, it's like traveling street judges. And they're not filling the lands, but they can go from town to town. And Torm is going to kind of lead them, so to speak, to where they're needed. They may not know that there's a crime there. Yeah, the Grey Wardens and Dragon Age did the same thing. Yeah, like, exactly. They just kind of show up and be like, okay. Yeah, we're, we're doing this. Yeah, you have to come with me. And I can't remember what that's called, but there's right. some name for that rite of conscription. Mm -hmm. So I, I had that happen here. And Torm kind of led this guy and said, okay, there's going to not, not say to him, but, you know, kind of guide him here saying, okay, we've got a paladin here who needs to be a trial and there's going to be a murder here. And her trial is to solve the murder. And so I made a very basic sort of murder mystery of person was killed. I know who killed him. I know why they killed him. And then here's the clues around it. And then here are the various characters that are the suspects and their different motivations. I felt that they had to, do the thing where it's like who has motivation, opportunity, all that sort of stuff. Means motive, opportunity. Right. Means motive, opportunity. And they had to investigate those and put them together. Yeah. Which means that you can't find that out by taking your sword and cutting goblins in half with it. You actually have to think. So the. <laughs> I mean, it does reduce the pool of suspects. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's really funny, though, that coming out of the answer and response NPC, mm -hmm. we go into a murder mystery where we are interrogating. Well, there's a lot of interrogation. And I, having just done a review of that episode before posting, I can tell you that we actually did mention that, that there mm -hmm. are games where a challenge and response is appropriate. And I even made the joke about L.A. Noir, right? Which, for no one who's played it, is a police detective game mm, where you interrogate. You interrogate people. So what you do in that right. game is you interrogate people. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it does make sense. You know, I, I won't get into the ins and outs of the murder mystery. It was not really deep, so to speak. It was it was very basic because the game, the rules are not really designed for that. The police procedure. Yeah, police procedure. Yeah. You have roll your investigate. Roll it again, roll it with disadvantage, but it's it's more about the role play of it. And it stuck out like a sore thumb in a traditional D&D &D game. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not, but it's kind of a transition game. And so whatever. And I, I roll it. They did great. They did awesome. Everybody got really super into it. 
And after the game, there was like uh, Wayne said that he really enjoyed it. Dawn was telling me that she really loved it. So it seemed really well received. And for me, what and I was telling Dawn this afterwards, like the guy who was testing her was this drunk. He was fat and drunk and foul and just way past his prime. And then like he was a real hardcore cleric fighting for Torm. But now he's just old and burnt. And this is what he does. He finds recruits and he hates them. And so what I wanted to do was he was judging her the entire time. Now, she was pulling in her friends to help her. The point that he was making at the end of it, not to get into too much of a gaming story, was that he didn't actually care if the crime got solved. It was how she went about it. Because the players in the party, they're really good. They're really interesting, deep characters. But you have characters who aren't lawful good, who like to lie to get their way, the ends justify the means sort of characters. Characters don't really have moral compasses, who aren't evil, but they don't have moral compasses. There were a couple characters, mine included, that brought up the suggestion of, well, is there anybody that should be pressed in the game? Right. But at least for my character, he realized this is her challenge. Mm -hmm. This has to be done right for her. If it were just, we've been given this, he might have pushed a little bit more for, let's just find somebody that deserves it. Yeah. But this was <laughs> important because it was the paladin's test. Mm -hmm. It had to be done her way, not our way. Yeah. She had to find who the murderer was and prove it. It wasn't enough to say, well, I figured it out. Figuring it out is not it. it it's you. You had to prove it and you had to to bring the guy to justice. Now, if the murderer pulled out a sword and started stabbing people, heck, and bringing them to justice is to, to fight him, to stop him, to put him down. But if you can capture him and lock him up and then put him on in the hangman's noose, that is real justice. And you're talking about a paladin here, full body armor, shield, sword, and the ability to kill things 10 ways to Sunday because it's D&D. And I didn't tell her any of this it was a test for her as a player as well as for her character to see if it, she, it is something that and she did they they, they captured the guy yeah and i'm not gonna say this is true in all games or because it's not mm -hmm. but i'm just gonna speak here in very very broad oversimplified terms D, D like a lot of role-playing games seems to be much more about dealing with evil than dealing with guilt mm-hmm Right. Where wiping out the goblins is something you do because they're evil, not because they've necessarily done anything. Mm -hmm. And this kind of changes that because, you know what, even good people do very bad things. Yeah. It's possible this murder is the only bad thing this guy does in his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, that's a really, really bad thing. <laughs> right. But nonetheless, it could be that that is the one mar. And if Dawn uses her detect evil, this guy's not evil. He right. just really screwed something up. Mm -hmm. Crime of passion or who knows what. Yeah, the actual evil guy was not only innocent, yeah. but is essentially doing his job. Yeah. The So that's what I did, too, because I had mentioned this in previous episodes, that I I am really trying to play with the idea that you can have people who are D&D &D evil and they can be resources or friends or even allies. And they could be working towards what you are working towards. And they can be evil. D&D &D evil. Not just like, oh, they're jerks. I mean, like, they are 
that moral compass goes to evil. It doesn't mean that, that they're twirling their mustaches and looking for maidens to put on railroad tracks. They're venting the railroad to run over maidens in this fantasy world. And I, I love playing with that gray area and making the characters think. And that's what I did for the paladin is I had this list of suspects and I salted the suspects with a guy who is really evil. He is a freaking sociopath. Yeah. He was the son of the guy who got killed. And when they started going around and questioning the suspects, they got to him and he was like, well, you don't seem very upset that your father was murdered. And he was like, I'm not. <laughs> and so, and then it's just like, okay, open up the eye, scan him. Oh yeah, he's evil. And so obviously, I mean, instantly they're like, oh my God, this guy's got to be it. But, oh man, my paladin was so great because she was like, no, we have to prove it. And I put all these, they're not red herrings, but I put all these sorts of things like he carried this bag and they were looking for this book. And this guy was like, no, I'm not answering any of your questions. It was one of the things that I found most interesting about the Batman story arc hush mm-hmm. is that Batman spends a portion of that story defending the Joker. Right. Not because he's trying to stop somebody from killing the Joker. It, you know, it's not that. It's not that his sense of don't murder is, is trumping his dislike for the Joker. I mean, Joker, it's established. He's evil as all hell. He's mm-hmm. crazy. He's a horrible person. Nobody's questioning that fact. But the particular crime in question, Batman believes he's innocent of. Right. That it's not per se he hasn't done anything. But he hasn't done this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, taking down the Joker and having him take the fall for this doesn't fix anything. They're kind of exploring that in the current Batman storyline where Bruce Wayne has been called to be a juror on Victor <laughs> Freeze's trial. Nice. <laughs> That's cold. Oh. <laughs> so I want to point out here, too. Yeah. In two different games within, say, about a week. You had a knife. A knife to the throat of two different characters. Of your character. Of my character yeah. in both games. The murderer, when they found him and he couldn't weasel out of it, grabbed Wayne's character, who is not... is a wizard, so his yep. dump stats are all the constitution and strength. Yep. Grabbed him and, and held him hostage and was trying to get out of it. And the characters reacted very differently to the situations. Yeah. The character in the Skies of Glass game is a fighter. He sees what's going on outside and sees one of our NPCs with a gun. It's like, okay, there's an opportunity. We can win this one. And he goes for it versus the D&D game. He sees all of his tough friends are there and they're probably going to win. But he's not a physically fighter. <laughs> well, right? it doesn't help that in the Skies of Glass game, your friend with a gun goes down before you do. <laughs> right. And a knife to his throat. You know, he's a teenager. He's sure of himself. He's got all mm. this magic, but he has a knife to his throat. He's never right. experienced that. It's not a dark world like Skies of Glass. He hasn't mm-hmm. seen this violence. So his reaction is basically to clam up, be quiet, and do what's being told. That's what I call mature role-playing. Because non-mature role-playing would look at and say, okay, I'm playing a wizard, he doesn't have much armor class, but he's got 13 hit points, and a knife only does, like, D4 damage. So, yeah, let him stab me, guys, and then get him. (laughs) That's not good role-playing. That's bad role-playing. What Wayne did was good role-playing. Learn from Wayne. Well, and that's why I wanted to point it out, because both yeah. characters had knife to their throat. Right. They were two completely different characters that reacted oh, yeah. differently in the situation. 
it is really ironic to me that it happened in two different games yeah. within a week, though. I'm only responsible it. for half those. <laughs> and you didn't know about the other ones. No, so. I didn't. I, did, I wasn't even thinking about that when it happened. I, I didn't even think about it until right now at the table as we tell right. the story. Right. So, speaking of really good role-playing, I want to get back real quick to what the paladin did with this sociopath. So, the sociopath himself is the red herring, because he is the one who... When the paladin scans him, he's evil. He won't answer any of their questions. He knows something because he knows all their names and he shouldn't know their names. He knows who they are. And so there's a mystery. He's got these documents. They're looking for documents. They want to look at his documents and they have authority because this whole Torm thing and who they are, they have authority to, you don't have rights. It's medieval Europe, right? You don't have a constitution or anything. It's, yeah, we're in charge. We're, We're the sons and daughters of nobles. I'm taking that bag full of documents. I had to remind the group of that at one point because there was the, you know, okay, let's go search their rooms. Well, we can't break into their rooms. We need to follow the law. It's like, we are the law. There is no fourth amendment. Right. It's, it's, uh, if you are feeling nice, you go to the innkeeper and tell them to unlock it. This is really similar, not in the way it played out, but in concept to that game I played under uh, Joe Lamy at Mm. Fear of the Con, because it was the same insofar as we had, I don't even want to say extrajudicial authority, because Mm -hmm. like you said, it's who's the judiciary? We just had authority, period. Mm -hmm. And we were investigating a murder. There's somebody who had been killed. And it really was interesting because... You just don't think about playing a procedural in D and D, right? right. Obviously, you can. I'm not saying you can't Mm -hmm. because clearly you can. Yeah, everyone at this table has. Yeah, yeah. You can tell any story in any system. There are things people tend to do or prefer to do. Well, what are the procedures? Yeah, you know, there's well, once you get to a high enough level, you just cast true zone of truth, yeah, yeah, or or some divination spell. I think that did help that they were second level and didn't have access to that stuff. But I want to get back to you know this red herring that I put in there, and she is confronting him, saying everything is pointing to you. We're looking for the dead guy's ledger because he was a merchant. If you have it, you're the guy. And the guy, the guy was like, you know, no. I'm not going to let you search my things. Then there was like this back and forth. And he's like, okay, you're a paladin of Torm. Hail Torm. And (laughs) you have to promise me on Torm, on your paladin hood, that if you look at these, only you look at these papers. And you never tell another soul what you saw in here, no matter what is on the papers. Unless it's plans to blow up the capital or kill the king, you can't tell anybody. And that they're like, you know, don't do it, don't do it. Just take this guy in. He's then put string him up. He's our guy. And the paladin was like, okay, I promise. I make the promise. And so they go into his room. He hands over the papers. He looks through them. The guy is a spy. He's a sociopath and he's evil. He's a spy for her kingdom, returning documents he stole and probably killed for from a neighboring kingdom. And he's like, it's a matter of state. And she's like, take your documents and go. And then we come out, what was the document trying to get there? He's like, no, I'm not telling you. Because Torm is a god of justice. He's also the god of loyalty. Yeah. And that's her kingdom. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like him. She doesn't like what he does. But it's a matter of state. And she is loyal to her kingdom. And it was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, you think of D&D, you think of 
dungeons and challenges and encounters and, you know, weird guys with crazy puzzles or dungeons and big monsters and stuff. But it, that's how I played out this mystery where each part was an encounter. They just didn't have any tools on their character sheet to work the encounters. And one thing I liked about it, too, was you found a way for the ranger to get her moment as well. Yes. It wasn't the, you know, solving the mystery or anything. She got to meet a higher level ranger. She got to meet her animal companion and it developed naturally versus Mm -hmm. just, okay, now I have an animal. Yeah. It erupts from the earth. The murderer was the ranger was the high level ranger that our ranger was working with learning from and having a tryst with, over the course of the game, who had this dire wolf yeah. as his animal companion. And the way I played it, they confronted the guy when they figured out who it was and they confronted him and basically said, okay, the jig is up, surrender, we're taking you in. The wolf was there and it was growling, but nobody had actually like drawn blood yet. And then the ranger had grabbed Wayne's character, put the knife to his throat, but it still wasn't quite a fight. And the wolf didn't quite understand. And then in the course of one round, they were able to get him. Paladins have smite. And so they were able to get Wayne's character away. And the paladin punched the guy in the face and used smite when he did it. (laughs) It was just didn't kill him. But I mean, just blasted him. Right. And so it, it was really awesome. In that moment, thematically, the ranger lost everything. Like, he lost his moral high ground. He went from being an elf that was hundreds of years old, who was this ranger who had this fantastic beast companion that was magically linked to. Now he is a murderer Mm -hmm. who just got punched by a paladin of Torm and knocked most of his teeth out, lying in the gutter, whimpering, please don't kill me, and is about to be dragged off in chains and taken to the hangman's noose. And at that point... He lost connection with the wolf because he didn't deserve the wolf anymore. And then the other ranger was there. Our ranger was there. And suddenly I said, in a moment, this wolf went from this animal companion who had this link with this person to now it is a feral wild beast in the middle of a city. And what do you do? And she walked over to it. You know, everybody is like their swords and shit out because they don't know what's going on. And they're ready to blast this thing because they think there's going to be a fight with a dire wolf. And she walks up to it. And she calms it, and then that's her animal companion. She went for Beastmaster, and then she's got Dire Wolf now. And rolling back a little bit earlier in the game, like not while playing the game, a sidebar, Mm -hmm. Chad asked her, which direction are you going to go? Are you going to go Beastmaster? What are you thinking about for your pet? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a completely out of nowhere, I'm dictating that you are having a Dire Wolf as your pet. He knew going in that that's what she was leaning towards was a wolf. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that story made it for her instead of just having it erupt from the ground or off camera, you go into the woods and roll some dice. And now you come out with a wolf. There's this story behind it. And she can tell in character that when somebody asks, Holy crap, that's a big wolf. Where'd that come from? And she can, she has a story. She has this connection to it. Sometimes a mommy wolf loves a daddy wolf (laughs) and they hug in a special way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when two elves have a one night stand, you bring something back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or brought something there. Yeah. No, I think actually in a way this does, I don't know if it ties directly into our prior topic, but it does tie in conceptually insofar as we're talking about 
Wayne's character getting held hostage. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the first one, we talked about a character being introduced and given context. Mm-hmm. And in this, we're kind of talking about that next step where the character's present, but things about these characters get brought out. They get defined. Who they are is changed in some way. You know, there's an evolution mm-hmm. to the person and to their values and because they have to make choices. And sometimes... I mean, yeah, I guess the choices are a result of who you are, but sometimes the act of making a choice changes you as well because you've picked a path. And obviously in this case, I mean, it could be like, well, this is the school of magic I'm going to take. Mm -hmm. But the way that you did it in the game, it was more than that, that to go down a road, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it actually meant making some value judgments. Yeah. Am I going to go? after the evil or am i going to go after the guilt am i going to spare an animal's life or am i going to choose a path of violence against it of trying to restore balance by getting the wild animal out of the city Mm -hmm. and you know so i think there is i think it does tie into our prior topic sort of as a a second half to it but cool i think that's where we're going to wrap this one up uh no announcements or show links patreon's still out there if you guys want to back us there Hey, we, we've got a Discord channel, too. We'll link that in the show notes. Yep. Uh, pretty we, active discussion going on there. Yes. Yeah, we talk about the actual plays in mm-hmm. there. There's a lot of other channels, but I mostly stick to the actual play one. Correct. Yeah. So Discord, Patreon. We also have a forums that we've had forever. Yeah. It's a very good community. Actually, if you just go to com. there's links to all kinds of stuff. We're now on uh, Spotify, and we're in the process of being approved for iHeartRadio, as weird as that is. Is that the satellite one? No, that's like a uh, terrestrial streaming thing for like regular radio stations. They do podcasts now for some reason. Yeah, it's one of when you look right now at all of the advice on where podcasts should be, it's on the top five. Hmm. Yeah, it's bizarre. But anyway, so check the show notes for a couple links. And beyond that, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.